welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Monday, February 26th. I'm your old pal Ralph Garman here with you uh, on a Monday. What a Monday, too. Um, If you haven't heard by now... Um, I don't know if you've seen the news or not, but my uh, I want to deal with this right off uh, the, the top of the show. My good friend and partner, uh, Kevin Smith, had a massive heart attack last night after performing the first of two shows at the Alex Theater in Glendale for a, um, a comedy special that he was filming. So needless to say, last night was a long night, not a lot of sleep, uh, talking to his wife uh, back and forth as he with the hospital and um, Kevin himself has released this news on Twitter. So I'm not betraying any trust, but he did have a massive heart attack and there was a hundred percent blockage in one of his arteries. And uh, he was obviously very sick after the first show and they rushed him to the hospital and doctors were able to um, save him. And boy, um, makes you realize how uh, fragile life is and it's terrifying. And I've, had way too much death in my life. And I'm just so happy that uh, Kevin is resting comfortably and he's he's fine and he's on the mend. And if you hadn't seen the news, I did want to address it because people were already uh, sending me emails and tweets and stuff asking about it. So um, Kevin is stable and uh, resting and um, we'll, we'll keep you posted. But yeah, Kevin did have a heart attack last night and it was uh, terrifying, and um, and we were hoping for the best, and it, it is right now the best of all possible outcomes. So we'll move forward, and I'll do the show as planned, but just, of course, keep uh, a positive thought and send your best wishes and your love to Kevin as he heals up, okay? All right, let's get started. Let's start with the booze news, shall we? This seems to be a recurring theme on the Ralph Report where we talk about all the good things that booze does for you. And you know I'm a fan. Well, this is good news as well. The American Chemical Society, which already sounds a little shaky to me. Sounds like a group I may not necessarily have a lot of faith in. But the American Chemical Society is talking about a study in which they found agavins, A-G-A-V-I-N-S, agavins, are a natural sugar which is found in the agave plant, and it can be used to lower blood glucose levels for people with type 2 diabetes and help obese people lose weight. These natural sugars can actually help you lose weight. Now, these agavins, uh, they try to use them in artificial sweeteners like agave syrup and aspartame, aspartame. Um, but it's just not working. The, uh, the purest form of the agavins or agavins, I guess you would say, are actually found in, you guessed it, tequila. That's right. The agave plant is used to make tequila and they found that the pure untampered with agavins are found in good old tequila. So if you drink tequila, it's actually good for you. It'll help reduce your blood glucose levels if you have diabetes. And if you are uh, obese, it'll help you lose weight. 
they have found in mice, they fed them a standard diet, but they added some of these agavins to their water. They ate less overall and had lower blood glucose levels. So it's good for you, tequila. So do shots and margaritas and all that good stuff and live forever like I'm going to live. Okay, that's the good news. Now here's the bad news. And this pisses me off because this is why science sucks. Because last week, they told me, and I told you, if you drink uh, wine, red wine specifically, it'll flush the toxins out of your brain. It cleans your brain. Makes your brain healthier by washing all the garbage out of your brain. All those episodes of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and all that other crap inside your brain washed clean through the magic of red wine. I was very excited to read that. Now they're telling me, this just was published last Tuesday, that one million adults who were released from French hospitals between 2008 and 2013 and who were diagnosed with dementia, they found that excessive alcohol use increased all types of dementia in these patients. The doctor said, The most novel result is the large contribution of alcohol use disorders to the burden of dementia over the lifespan. That is rather unique, the doctor said. It does remind us, however, that alcoholics have shorter life expectancies. Okay, yeah, sure, fine. But do they have more fun while they're here? Yes, that would be my argument, doctor, if you really are a doctor. I haven't seen a diploma from this guy. I choose to believe that tequila is going to help my blood sugar. And wine will cleanse my brain. And last night, my brain was cleansed as I was drinking wine watching The Bachelor, The Women Tell All episode. Look, I know I'm not going to do a whole break on it. I'm not going to do a whole segment on last night's The Bachelor, The Women Tell All because we will do a a Bachelor recap with my wife later on this week, tomorrow on Tuesday, because tonight is the next to the last episode, the penultimate episode, if you will. But last night, Sunday night, they had The Women Tell All, which is always one of my favorite episodes of any Bachelor or Bachelorette season when they bring back all the just butthurt people who got sent home and they get to just tee off on each other and they've watched the show along with the rest of us and they've got a pent-up resentment to get out. Always entertaining. And uh, last night was no exception. Becca M. Oh, my adorable little Becca M. My little sweet 22-year-old wood nymph Becca M. She rightly called everyone uh, a hypocrite attacking her because of her young age when women just a few years older than her were also in the mix and no one had any problem with that. So I thought that was absolutely spot on. Caroline, who I just had no idea who she was, did not remember her at all. She called out Ari when he finally hit the stage for whatever he does in the final Rose decision. It was odd. It was like, I was surprised they left it in the show. She said, I know what you did. And I don't know how you sleep with yourself or something like that. Uh, look in the mirror. <laughs> we, we guess we all sleep with ourselves at the end of the day, but she called him out and he said, well, we'll just have to see about that. So ABC, give us a little tease. Something dramatic happens at the season finale of The Bachelor. Imagine that. But my favorite part by far was Crystal. Crystal the bitch, just getting it from all sides. The women hate her. Ari came out. He hates her. And they showed unaired footage, which by the way, how do you not air this footage? of her being pissed off at Ari over a bowling trophy of all fucking things and calling him a needle dick. 
and calling the rest of the women in the house that she was competing against cunts. How do you not air that, ABC? How do you bury the lead? So they showed that unaired footage, and uh, appropriately, she was called out and uh, given the business, as they say. So, very entertaining show last night. Speaking of entertainment, let's get to uh, the showbiz beat, shall we? K-Fed has announced he wants more money from Britney Spears. His ex-wife, Britney Spears, was paying him $20,000 a month to care for their two sons when they were in K-Fed's company. But that was before she started her Las Vegas residency. And I was not aware of these numbers, by the way. She rakes in, in that residency she has at the Planet Hollywood gig in Vegas, $475,000 a show. A show! That means she's bringing home $15 million a year for lip-syncing and sluggishly moving around the stage like a bloated, drunken Britney Spears impersonator. The girl who does Britney Spears at the Imperial Palace Celebrity Impersonation Show is a more entertaining Britney Spears than Britney Spears is. But because Britney's the real deal, she's making $15 million per year. So now Federline, as you can imagine, is saying he'd like to have a little bit more money to spend on their two sons, wink, wink, when he's taking care of them. Look, Federline's got bills, okay? You've no idea how much it costs to pack that giant bong of his. Federline, remember when he was a thing for a minute? He had a music career? Popo's Owl was the name of his smash hit? Those are good times. I miss that. Speaking of money, this breaks my heart. Lisa Marie Presley, daughter of the king, Elvis Presley, is broke. Now you're saying, how is that possible? And I would agree with you ordinarily. But here's the thing. you got to keep your eye on your money, people. Keep your mind on your money and your money on your mind, in the words of the great Snoop. Because she had a former business manager who she claims pissed away $100 million. That's work. How do you piss away that much money? When Elvis died in 1977, he left his daughter a trust fund that came out of his estate. Now, she claims that her former business manager sold 85% of her interest in Elvis Presley Enterprises, that's the estate, for $100 million. And then he used that money to invest in a company called Core Entertainment, an entertainment company that went bankrupt in 2006. Let me tell you something, asshole. If you have a chance to invest in a company called Core Entertainment, that's a, that's a question mark, or leave your money in Elvis Presley Enterprises... That's a pretty easy decision. I could manage Lisa Marie Presley's portfolio. Uh, Let me see. I can invest it in a douchebag ink, or I could just leave her fucking money in Elvis, which is a pretty solid investment. (laughs) He's going to be around for a while. Let me tell you something about Elvis Presley Enterprises. The whole estate is worth approximately $300 million and gains every year. Elvis Presley was the fourth highest-earning dead celebrity of 2017. Made another $35 million doing nothing, being dead. That's a pretty good return on your investment. But this guy apparently sold off 85% of her stake in Elvis Presley Enterprises for $100 million that he pissed away. 
The only reason we know about any of this, by the way, is that she just got divorced from a guy named Michael Lockwood. And so they had to disclose their finances to try to work out the financial part of the divorce. And she says she's $16 million in debt. In the red, to the negative. Her dad is making $300 million total, $35 million this past year. She's $16 million in debt. And look, it's, yes, genetically, the Presleys are not great with their money, okay? Elvis used to give away cars. Instead of changing the channel, he would shoot a television and buy a new one. I mean, they're not great with money, but still. How are you Elvis's daughter and out of cash? That's brutal. Let's take a look at the weekend box office, shall we? No surprise here, Black Panther yet number one by a large margin. $108 million it made this weekend. That is the second highest grossing second weekend in movie history. And because, as you can imagine, $108 million, not a lot of money going around for the rest of the movies in the top ten. Game Night was second with $16.6 million. Then Peter Rabbit, $12.5 million. Annihilation came in at number four with $11 million. Fifty Shades Freed was fifth. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, came in at number six. The fifteen seventeen to Paris was seventh. The Greatest Showman at number eight. Every Day and then Met Opera's La Boheme, 10th at the box office this weekend. Let's take a look at the celebrities born on this day, Monday, February 26, 2018. Actor-director Bill Duke, 75 years old today. Marta Kristen, she was Judy Robinson. On the old Lost in Space TV series, 73 years old today. Mitch Ryder, singer, 73 as well. Michael Bolton, the singer, is 65. I'm Ralph Garman, I walk the showbiz beat. Well, we were just talking about Peter Rabbit, which was number three at the box office this past weekend. Also made the news this week because in the film, there's apparently a scene where Peter Rabbit is trying to run off the human character of young Mr. McGregor from his garden. And uh, Peter and the rest of the bunnies in Peter's gang pelt him with blackberries, including trying to shoot them in his mouth because he is allergic to blackberries. And he does indeed uh, swallow some blackberries and has to use an EpiPen to treat the reaction. Well, as you know, you can't do anything anymore without pissing off some group. And the charity Kids with Food Allergies Foundation protested the scene in Facebook this week, saying food allergy jokes are harmful to our community. In a joint statement, Sony Pictures and the filmmakers said they should not have made light of the issue and it was wrong for them to include the segment, even in a cartoonish slapstick way. Not, no, it wasn't. There were bunnies with slingshots shooting berries at a guy. No one's going to take it seriously. There's no danger of people really shooting blackberries in the mouths of people who have blackberry allergies. It was a, a slapstick joke. That's all it was. There's no need for the Kids with Food Allergies Foundation to get pissed off about it. Sony and the producers went on to say, we sincerely regret not being more aware and sensitive to this issue, and we truly apologize. Oh, for fuck's sake. This is why these groups keep saying things. This is why they keep stamping their feet and crying about things that aren't real problems, because people keep giving in. Sony and the producers should have said, it's a joke. There's there's some animated bunnies doing wacky things, just like fucking Bugs Bunny did 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Everyone needs to focus on problems that are real. Madness. But anyway, speaking of Peter Rabbit, went to see the movie with my kid. 
And as you know, we've got an ongoing segment here on the Ralph Report where we have a child who looks at kids' movies and lets you know what she thinks. And she happens to be my daughter, Olivia. So when we get the opportunity, when Livy's in the mood, because I don't like to push her, I don't want to be one of those parents, we sit down, we turn on the microphones, and we review a kid's movie together in a segment we call Livy at the Movies. Welcome, everyone, to Livy at the Movies, the show that reviews kid movies by a kid with your host, Olivia Garman. Hello. What's today's movie, Olivia? What are we going to be looking at? Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit, of course, based on the famous series of books by Beatrix Potter. This is sort of a modernized version of Peter Rabbit, updated for a new generation. And we went to see that film, Livy and I did. And Livy, why don't you tell the folks a little bit what Peter Rabbit is all about? The movie was about Peter Rabbit, his cousin Benjamin, and his three sisters fighting for their garden back. That's right. And um, who was your favorite character out of out of everybody in the film? My favorite character was B. B. Now, B is uh, a character that is created for the film that is for sort of based on Beatrix Potter, the, the author of the original books. And she plays a woman who's an artist living next to the rabbits, and she kind of takes care of them. Why was B your favorite character, Livy? She's my favorite character because she likes animals, and I do too. Mm-hmm. And she kind of protected the rabbits, didn't she? Yes. Yeah. Was there anything you didn't like about the movie? Um, not really. No, that's good news. Um, the movie's very funny. There's a lot of slapstick humor in it. Did you find one part particularly funny? Um, yeah. My favorite part was when... The bunnies set a trap on Mr. Grouper. When they, when they, remember they put those rakes all around his bed? Yeah. And he stepped on the rakes and he hit himself with those? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of slapstick humor. I liked it when they electrified his, his doorknob and he got shocked and he got threw across, thrown across the room. Did you like that part? Yes. You know, Livy, I want to ask you something because this was in the news that some people said, remember the part where they shot blackberries into Mr. McGregor's mouth and he was allergic? Yes. And he had to use the EpiPen? Yeah. They said that was too mean to put in the movie. Did you think it was too mean? No. Did you think it was bullying in any way? Kind of. Kind of, yeah. But did Peter sort of learn a lesson at the end of the film? Yes. What was that lesson, do you think? I think there's two lessons. One, not to trick people, and the other, um, when they're fighting to get their garden back, he should let the siblings and Benjamin help more. Yeah, he kind of took control of everything, didn't he? Yes. But he was kind of responsible for his uh, little sisters and his cousin after his mommy and daddy died. So I think maybe that's why he did that, huh? Yeah. Do you think maybe he also learned with Mr. McGregor that sometimes it's better to talk about a problem than just to fight with someone about something? Kind of. Yeah. You know, every movie reviewer has a rating system. Some use stars, some use thumbs up. Libby, what's your rating system? Hearts. Okay. So let's say five hearts being best and one heart being worst. How many hearts would you give Peter Rabbit? Three and a half. Three and a half hearts for Peter Rabbit. I got to tell you, uh, the movie 
is sometimes a little um, simplistic for mom and dads out there. A little too slapsticky. However, the animation is remarkable. Didn't those bunnies look just like real bunnies live? Yeah. And also, um, I liked P- Paddington 2 more than... Yeah, the film we talked about last time was Paddington 2. You did like it more. Um, what's the next movie you think we should see and review? Do you have any movies that are coming out that you're looking forward to? When the Gnomes movie comes out, maybe we can see that. Yeah, I think we need to go see Sherlock Gnomes, which stars Johnny Depp as uh, Sherlock Gnomes, a detective who protects garden gnomes. I think we got our eye on that one next. So, until next time, that is Livy at the Movies. Bye. See, and my kid, she thought it was a little bit of bullying that they shot those berries at Mr. McGregor. But... Because she's a good kid with a good heart, she recognized that it was wrong, and she'll she'll never do that. So there's no need for anyone to panic. Good children will recognize you don't shoot berries into the mouths of Mr. McGregor, should that ever be a possibility. All right, moving on. This segment, I think, is important. And I, I talked about this when I started the Ralph Report, that this show isn't going to be what I did on the radio, and it's not going to be what I do with Kevin Smith over on Hollywood Babylon, this is going to be its own thing. And this is one of those moments that isn't necessarily funny, but I think it needs to be talked about. And I'm happy to do it. And I hope you'll find this as interesting as I do. Because I get a ton of emails from people about the Ralph Report and about my work on the radio and about Hollywood Babylon. And you would be surprised and disturbed as I was how often people mention I was fighting serious depression. And you guys helped me when I was at my lowest point. You gave me something to laugh about when I didn't think I could. Over and over again, I see these emails from people struggling, suffering from depression. It is a brutal illness and one that carries with it a lot of stigma. And a lot of people are still afraid to acknowledge that they are battling what in many cases is a disease of clinical depression. And I have to tell you, when I lost my job on the radio in November of last year, I went through a brutal patch, a, a real downturn, where my wife was concerned about my mental health because after almost 20 years, there I was without a job, trying to support a family. What can I do? And I was depressed. Now, I've, I've since pulled myself out of it, largely because of you kind folks who are supporting me, but also because of the Ralph Report got me moving creatively again, and I'm doing stuff that I love, and that helps. But um, I thought it was important to talk about it because not only had I dealt with it, and, and we all do with it from time to time. You have to. If you live a life, you're going to be depressed once in a while. And all the emails that I get and all the people that I hear from, I wanted to take the stigma away and open up the conversation about mental health in a positive way. Way And so I reached out to a member of the GARMI, Dr. Sarah Howard, who's an actual therapist, and I said to her, would you come on the show and talk about depression? And she was more than happy to do so, because she's a lovely lady and she cares about people. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about depression. And I think this should be an ongoing conversation. So if there's any mental health topic you'd like to talk about, we have a, a for real therapist who is part of the GARMI, who's willing to talk about it. And let's use that opportunity to keep this conversation going. So send me an email at ralph at theralphreport.com if there's some aspect of 
mental health that you would like to have a conversation about, we'll talk to Dr. Sarah about it. But this week, we're talking about depression. Um, How do you know whether you're just feeling low or whether you have a problem that needs serious help and perhaps even medication? All those questions we deal with today with Dr. Sarah. Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Let's talk about depression. When I lost my job back in November, I went into a funk. It was uh, it was as bad as anything I think I've felt in a long, long time. And I've heard that uh, losing a job can be one of the most traumatic things in a person's life. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's loss. So any kind of loss, for sure. Um that's a huge one, especially if you've been with it for a long time, which I know that you were. So now, what? Now, when I was at my at my most down, I think my wife mm-hmm. was concerned that I might be what what you hear the, the phrase thrown about quite a bit, clinically depressed. And so, what's the difference between mm-hmm. somebody who's just going through a bad patch and someone who has clinical depression? What exactly is that? Right. So yeah, there's a lot of um, I think misinformation about it, especially because. You know, I mean, I grew up like, oh, I'm depressed today, or I would hear people say they were depressed, and that's kind of so that kind of is misleading. Let's right. put it that way. So I'm glad, glad you asked. So, um, in terms of like clinically speaking, um, major depressive disorder. I mean, I'm not in the big business of diagnosing, but it is helpful because what they come up with are sort of these symptoms that have to be present for a certain amount of time and they're very specific symptoms. Um, but usually if you read them off to someone who's depressed, you kind of, they you can tell immediately and they know immediately too. So basically in terms of clinical depression, like major depressive disorder, and I will say there's also other types of, you know, clinical depression. I think major depressive disorder is probably um, the most common. Um, what they say is there's sort of five or more of these nine symptoms that they list have to be present during the same two-week period um, and really represent a change from the, a person's previous functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning it's like, you know, it's kind of like night and day. Like you said, you kind of fell into what felt like a funk. Right. And at first you probably didn't know exactly kind of, oh, this feels different. And But if it lasts for at least two weeks, that's one of the determinants that has to last during the same two-week period. Um, so essentially, um, you know, things like depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, you know, feeling sad, empty, hopeless. Um, maybe uh, maybe other people will notice that and say it to you. Um, so that's one. So there's basically nine symptoms that they look at. Okay. Um, so, which are, uh, and so that was the first one, um, a real um, diminished interest in pleasure of any kind, like activities, sex, um, food, whatever you kind of gain pleasure from. Hmm. Uh, really just lo- loss of enjoyment for things that you like. Like, oh, I used, you know, I love running. And then it's like, ugh. And it's not just like, a, oh, I don't feel like it because running is, running, running, running is painful. It's like <laughs> everything. Like, even if for your work, maybe, like if you're a singer, say, and you just like have no, like it's like that piece is really missing. Right. Um, so significant weight loss um, or weight gain. Um and by that, it's usually like 5% of your body weight or something like that in a month. Um, and then along with that, sort of decreased or increased appetite. 
um, would obviously go with weight loss or gain. Right. And I also, this isn't in their criteria, but I also think like increased um, sleeping or exercising or drinking, alcohol, you know, drugs. I think all those are very similar. So that's sort of my ad. Hmm. Um, insom- insomnia, lack of sleeping or oversleeping. You know, when people say, oh, I, like I can't get out of bed. Like I feel like I can't. Um, and let's see, fatigue, real like loss of energy, which obviously goes with insomnia. Right. Um, uh, feeling, I think the biggest one is sort of this feeling of worthlessness um, or really kind of excessive or inappropriate guilt. Um, really like every day, all day long, not just like a little guilt, um, but just really, really worthless. Like I have no purpose. There's no reason for me to be here. Wow. I don't know why I'm here kind of feeling. Um, difficulty concentrating is another one. Um, and finally, which is, you know, sometimes easy to tell on some people and not others, but recurrent thoughts of death and suicidal ideation um, and obviously attempt or a plan for committing suicide. Right. Um and actually, the last one I didn't notice, which I don't see a lot or didn't mention, is um, what they call psychomotor agitation. Like, basically, you're, like, agitation or retardation. So you're obviously, like, much, much, much more slower or really kind of hyperactive more than you would be normally. So, like, a feeling of restlessness or kind of the opposite end of the spectrum could be very slow. Got you. Um, yeah, so those are the things. And it has to, in order to be, like, diagnosed, and again, I'm not to me it's not so important what the label is but if someone's feeling you know most of these things then it's really a pretty good and for it like i said a two-week period it's a good indication that you know that something is up it's not just like a rough patch or you know and that really getting support for it is really is what's going to help you know from friends family professionals um yeah now, can a, a single event like a loss, like losing a job or losing a loved one, can that send you spiraling down into clinical depression? Or is it usually some brain chemistry thing that sort of happens independent? You know, there's so many different points on this. I mean, they have studied the brain um, and see that it's, you know, like depression can be run in your family, be mm-hmm. in your heritage. Right. Certain parts of the brain may look like they're affected. But in terms of um, law, like, can one, you answer your question, can one thing kind of trigger depression? I, I think it can, but I say that with a caveat that, like, one loss really brings up all your other losses, mm. you know? And we all have, and it doesn't have to be something so specific, like the death of a family member or something like that. Um, but it can be, obviously. But, you know, there's little losses throughout your life that sometimes don't even may not even be processed and so it can cut it's like the tipping point you know or like the straw that broke the camel's back so right. like loss of a, a job could really it, it's almost like it unearths all that stuff that's underneath and you know because we have defense mechanisms we push push things aside we push them down we push them out to try and not feel everything that we're feeling sometimes and you know really it's like you can only do that for so long and i think that's why something like a job loss can really you know and maybe i don't know in in your case that was kind of what it did it kind of 
was the icing on the cake for, well, it wasn't icing. The shit on top of the cake. <laughs> yeah, it was a shit way. cake, for sure. <laughs> the shit, total shit show cake. <laughs> but yeah. I guess the, the important part to recognize is regardless of whether it's a, a brain chemistry thing or whether it's just situational, if you're having a hard time dealing with the stuff, you got to try to get help for it, right? Yes, absolutely. And I know I didn't answer you directly about the brain chemistry thing because I don't know all that much about the sort of neurobiology. Right. Whatever the case is, I mean, yeah, it's so important to get help. And I think there's so many people that struggle with depression and anxiety and a lot of other things. And, you know, I think it can it feels so lonely i think it can feel so lonely that people then think well no one could actually understand the way i'm feeling and but that can really exacerbate sort of like a vicious cycle right that can exacerbate feeling of so lonely and worthless and empty um but and i think part of sometimes what helps people so much is to be seen and to to know that it's there's nothing wrong with them they're going through something they've been going through something um and yeah, to get help, especially, like I said, you know, men, um, there's a, I think it's like 50 to 60 or 50 to 65 has the highest suicidal rate of males. And oftentimes it's because we miss the signs with men, hmm. especially. And sometimes it's the ones I've never, you know, I've never had a patient um, take their life. Um, but I have had colleagues who have, and it's usually the ones that don't talk about it that end up going to such extremes where they feel like there's no other option. Um, and I know that's a whole other ball of wax, Yeah. but it's good to, with your, I mean, with your friends and your loved ones to kind of look out for that, you know, they're acting really differently, but they're not talking about it. That's kind of where it's you know, it's probably pretty extreme. And I think for a lot of men also, there's a little bit of a stigma of going to see a uh, mental health professional because you're kind of taught, you know, tough it out and just suck it up and this will pass and you can get through it on your own. So maybe men are less readily um, ready to take that step and, and get some professional help. I absolutely agree. I think so. Um and especially depending on when you grew up. I mean, I know when I was growing up, that was definitely, even for me, that wasn't that wasn't male. It's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That kind of came from my parents' generation, you know? Right, and I right. think it is even, even more stigmatized for men. Like, oh, you're a wuss, or you're a wimp, if you can't just solve your own problems. And that this idea that we're supposed to be able to do everything on our own. And no one does everything. Like, it's impossible, yeah. you know? It's impossible when it comes to being successful at your job. So why would it why would it be possible when it comes to being successful as like a healthy person? You know, we need people need support. Um, so, yeah, that's great stuff, Dr. Sarah. And what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is sort of mm -hmm. have this be a recurring feature on the Ralph Report and, and open it up to listeners to send in emails with some topics about mental health and, and getting help. And maybe once in a while we can check in with you and talk about those things. I'm more than happy to. I'd love to. That sounds terrific. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. All right. Good to talk to you. Have a good one. You too, Dr. Sarah. Bye-bye. Ah, she's so great. Dr. Sarah's a great lady, and we will be talking to her again. And like I said, if you have any more questions having to deal with mental health, let's keep the conversation going. Shoot me an email, ralph at the ralphreport 
Com. Meanwhile, it's my great pleasure to introduce this week's special guest. All week long, I'll be featuring highlights from my interview with this gentleman, and what a pleasure it was. He is such a great guy. He's become a good friend of mine, and he is super talented. You know him from a TV show called Life in Pieces right now on CBS, but maybe you saw him in the movie Orange County that I love with Jack Black. He's done a ton of films, a ton of television, Dexter, and so many great roles. We talk about them all in this conversation. Yes, his dad is also a pretty famous actor, but we didn't even deal with that. We, we touch on it just slightly because he has such a body of work, and he's, he's such a great guy doing so many cool things, including directing documentaries, that I just wanted to focus on his life, his career. He is a enormously talented and, uh, and more importantly, a really, really good guy. Here is the first highlight of my series of interviews this week with Mr. Colin Hanks. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to announce my guest is uh, hes an actor, he's a writer, he's a producer, he's a director, he's a good man. And don't let all those other stories about how awful he is fool you. I'm telling you, they're all lies. Colin Hanks is with me today. Thank you so much for taking some time and spending some time with of me. Of course, man. It's, it's good to see you. Um, let's talk about, you know, it, I've done this a few times with a few friends. And it's been interesting to me that the guys who start young in the, the show business. The business of the, show. The biz. There are two stories that seem to come about. Guys who like, boom, come out of the womb. Yeah. Knowing exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. I was talking to John Cryer the other day. Uh, Seth Green, same thing. They just knew right away. Yeah. Then this other guy. I talked to Sean Hattesey and uh, uh, who else was it? Stone Street, Eric Stone Street. These are guys, there's something happened in their life. There was an occurrence that was a market shift where they took a new course. Yes. So you're a Sacramento kid, right? I am. You're growing up there. What is, what's the dream for you as a kid? <laughs> what, what, what are your interests? What do you want? Well... It's a little bit complicated because, you know, my parents met in Sacramento, moved around a bunch when my dad's career was was in its early stages. Right. Like so early, like, you know, cashing unemployment checks at banks early stages. So we moved around quite a bit. We were in New York for a spell and we were in here in in the Valley here yeah. in Los Angeles for a while. And then my parents split up and I pretty much moved back to Sacramento and 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 spent uh, the important years of my youth in Sacramento. Right. So when I was in Sacramento, you know, I had family down here in Los Angeles. They're obviously in show business. Mm -hmm. I actually really enjoy hanging out with them on sets and being around show business. And in the back of my mind, that is an option for me if I if I want to go into that right um, but it's very evident that that is not just something that is just gonna happen because I want it to right um, and so I spent quite a bit of time you know doing school plays and, so you did and, start in school oh yeah 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 very much so doing the the school plays the christmas shows and things like that were you trying to feel it out to see if this is something maybe you wanted to dedicate your life to or i think it was well it just seemed kind of natural to me i mean i guess you could say i was drawn to it mm -hmm. i mean I, I i guess i was um but it was because 
I sort of grew up in an environment where that was on the table right. as an option. You know, my my mom was an actress. My stepmother was an actress. My father was an actor. It wasn't a harebrained, right. you know, cockamamie idea. We're taking a leap of faith. It, thinking, maybe people can make a living at this. You had evidence. But it was also the school play. Right. So there's not a lot of pressure or, or anything like that. And it was so for me, it was just fun. And it was a fun thing to do. And it was something that I was good at. I was better at that than I was at being a backup, you know, goaltender on the soccer team or you know, the guy who is kind of on the basketball team, but you don't really know. Um, <laughs> Looks good in the uniform. Well, it was a small school, so they sort of needed extra bodies. So it's like, okay, I guess we'll put a uniform on, on him today. He's a Why not? Kid. Yeah, sure. Put him he's, in a jersey. He's lanky. Um, and so f growing up, it was kind of an option, but it took me a while for it to really for for me to really truly decide like yeah this is really what what I want to to do and it was really just about me having to go through those reps of doing school plays mm -hmm. knowing which school plays I wanted to do which ones I didn't want to do you know like I hated musicals so you didn't do the musical theater never thing never did the musical oh, theater come thing. on you missed out I remember I had I had a teacher that like pushed me so hard to be in the music man and I was just like I'm not doing that like I just can't I was Harold Hill in the music man that. I'm just saying I'm just saying I mean I was a social butterfly <laughs> at, do you know what I mean and so like there were a bunch of people that were like dude is, you could be the music man like do it That'd be great. You don't really have to sing. And then there are other friends that were not in, you know, theater. And they're like, they want you to do what? That's the stupidest Nerd. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Let's not do that. So um, it wasn't really until college that I sort of became a little bit more aware of what actually excited me and right. what actually made me want to spend time doing it. You know? And what was that? That was theater. That was drama the, that, primarily, or did you like comedy? No, as well? both. Yeah. I, I look at it as as, as the same. There there are two sides, but it's the same coin. Yeah. And so for me, it was really just about going and you know taking uh, a bunch of other kinds of classes at college. You know, the pottery class in which you know, oh, <laughs> Colin Hanks just made bongs. That's all he did. You know, it's like okay, well, I don't want to be that. That. Did you really make bongs at part of I that? did. Apparently, yes, I did. I made a lot of bongs. And there was like this spoken code where if you just – if you if you made the bong and you just put your fingers over the holes and you showed the teacher like, it's a vase. It's a vase, yeah, He'd be sure. like, yeah, that's a vase. Wink. Wink. And then he would, you know, fire it up. And by fire it up, I mean like put it in the kiln. <laughs> I understand. Yes. yes. Okay. Pottery term. Yeah, yeah. Pottery term for all of you pottery heads out there. <laughs> Trying to establish, you know, the pottery heads in this new garmy that we're forming here. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was basically just me having to do uh, enough sort of classes and, and, and plays. And by the time I started doing theater in college and, you know, I fell in love with a girl and, and she was really big into theater. And that obviously helps. Always a draw, isn't it? It always helps. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and then she was sort of the one that said like, hey, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, what do you want to do? Because this is what I want to do. Like, mm -hmm. is this really something that you're serious about? Because you should do it if if you are. Um, and so that was sort of the the, the, 
the final piece of momentum that I that I sort of needed. So what's the leap then from college productions to professional actor? I mean, what did you get yourself an agent pretty quickly and just I was, start well, hitting the streets? I was able to get myself an agent pretty quickly. I uh, can't lie about that. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you get a job super quickly. Not at all. And if you do get a job super quickly, that's probably not the job that you want. <laughs> right. Um, that's kind of the equivalent of like, you know, the dude picking you up at the bus stop going like, where are you from? <laughs> Indiana. Welcome to Hollywood, kid. Um, You're walking down the street with suitcases <laughs> and a straw hat on, looking up at the big lights. This is literally, I mean, I remember having a couple of meetings with people and I was just like, could have sworn I saw just like money emblems in their eyes. I'm like, this is not, no, that is not, not that's not how, how this is going to go. Um, but, um, no, my, my girlfriend, um, uh, at the time she was really motivated and, and she had gotten uh, a manager and an agent and she's like, if you can get an agent like, do it like go um can i cuss on this Is oh it, yeah, yeah okay. please i encourage you. um she was kind of like don't fuck around like and if you if you can do that and you don't like fuck you that's really not cool um you should like really make an effort and really try and do it don't just half-ass it yeah um and so i got an agent and um you know i had to go get headshots and everything like that so i asked a buddy of mine who whose mom took headshots like hey can you can you do this um and um yeah it was it was funny i actually like asked people that i knew for help like there was a, a someone that i had worked with in a production office and she was sort of saying like you know what is it that you want to do i said well you know i've been seeing this girl and she really thinks i should get an agent she's like oh i can make some calls for you so like okay great so this girl was a real motivating factor she was yeah 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 she was she was busy phillips oh my goodness yes well there you go we went to all right for herself too yeah she did all right for herself as well so um She's writing a book right now, so we've actually been talking about this like era oh, of our lives that's qu- funny. quite a bit. But um, is yes. she running stuff past you, saying, "Is it okay if a I little tell bit. this yeah. story?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we ended up getting our first pilots like within a week of each other, and our first movies within wow. a week of each other. So we had just that's rare. We kind of yeah. Oh, very rare. Um, and so we we kind of entered into that realm of teenage show business, you know, not you know, quite Disney teenage, but the WB. Right. Well, I was just thinking you guys came out at a real good time in the business because there was a ton of sort of youth oriented programming happening, especially on television and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Whereas maybe even five years earlier, there wasn't nearly as much and it kind of exploded right around their mid eighties and stuff. Yeah. I mean, at, at that point it was such a financial you know, almost guarantee for networks and studios that, you know, they ended up propping up an entire TV channel to it, you yeah. know, in the WB. Right. Um, and at that point, you know, teen movies were not only, you know, making money, but they were also like generating, you know, they were like churning out actors and stars, you know, yeah. and they were, it was really sort of like a big, a big deal in a big era. We'll be featuring highlights of my interview with Colin all week long. You'll be able to hear it. And then at the end of the week, of course, for all you two-star generals and higher, I will be giving you the entire interview. And there's some funny highlights that we will not be playing uh, throughout the week that uh, I think you're going to enjoy hearing. 
when I give you the whole interview in context. Um, the, today, by the way, is also another free Monday, sending this out to the world so people can get a taste of it. So if you're enjoying hearing from Colin Hanks or any of the stuff you've heard on the Ralph Report and you're hearing the free edition today, go to patreon.com, sign up, subscribe for the Ralph Report so you don't miss a thing for the rest of the week. we got some great stuff coming up, including the rest of my interview with Colin Hanks, but also I'm going to be making a sex toy out of my penis. That should be fun. I'm going to be on the set of The Orville this week with Seth MacFarlane, so I'll be telling you all about that experience. So much great stuff this week, so if you haven't subscribed yet to The Ralph Report, you should really do it. Go to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up to be a one, two, three, or four-star general so you don't miss a thing every morning, Monday through Friday, here with The Ralph Report. That's it for today. Come on back tomorrow. I love you. I mean it. Bye.